The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Not it is well. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter eight. If you have your Bible with you, Mark chapter eight. Uh, we're continuing our verse by verse, phrase by phrase, week by week, uh, kind of boxing match with the, the gospel of Mark because we've been here for a year and a half. We have a year and a half to go. But as I, I was saying, I was talking to Chris yesterday. I said, I think we got this down by the end of 2019. We're going to get this thing done. Chris has given me a thumbs up, so I guess we better hurry then at that point. So you turn there as you do. Uh, just a reminder, uh, I know this has kind of slipped under the radar, not for him, uh, but but next week, next Sunday, is uh, uh, Gilbert and Amber's last Sunday, Pastor of Worship and Family, as they're heading out to Southeastern uh, to seminary, which you can still go to Midwestern, brother. It's okay. You can come and stay if you want. Uh, but after church next Sunday, we'll just have kind of a fellowship time afterwards, a time of thanks for you to say your thanks and appreciation for uh, the two years of ministry here that Gilbert and Amber have given. Say, what's next? Our ladies are going to leave the charge as we, uh, you come to the business meeting tonight at four. That's what you need to do. Amen. And you can go from there as you do. But Gilbert, we look forward to next week. And uh, well, we, we don't. We, we really don't. We want you to stay, but we can't talk you into doing that, so we'll let it be what it is. But we next Sunday after church, a time to say uh, thanks and send off Gilbert and Amber. All right, Mark chapter 8, and I, I thank, the, uh, I thank uh, Amy for finding my Bible. I usually leave it up front, and uh, this week our, our whole front has been changed like five different times for the giveaway. I thought my Bible had been given away, so I'm very happy to have a Bible to preach with this morning as God brings it in. So... God is good, guys. It is, it's been a blessing of a week in a lot of ways, so God is awesome. Well, one thing, it is hard to believe, it has been 15 years since this has happened. Some of you are going to say, 15, it's been like 40 for me. But if you've ever gone to college, you had to go through that great thing called freshman orientation. Gives you the EBGBs just thinking about it. You meet people, they put you in groups, you know, they think this personality is going to do well with this personality, they're going to be best friends for life. I don't think I ever talked to anyone else that I went to these freshman groups with. Or some of you do this at work, you have to sit next to people you never sit next to and work on projects together you'll probably never do. Don't, didn't you love that at school? Well, I remember 15 years ago, we were in the basement of William Jewell and uh, we, there was a box of M&M's. And they said, take as many as you would like. And you know these 18-year-old, 19-year-old girls, they're like, yeah, I'm going to take one, you know, because I don't want my body figure to change or something. And the guys are like, rah, 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 rah. But before they let you get there, they tell you that you have to, well, they don't tell you this at first, but the lady said, well, now I want you to count the number of M&Ms that you have. There's always a catch. And they said, for every one that you have, you have to tell something about yourself. Girls, you're always smarter than us guys. That's how it always works. But you remember that this is how it goes. You know, you know, I'm, from, I'm from Missouri. I played football. I like cars. I have hair on my head. And you can see these guys trying to win to lose. And they're losing because they were the ones that thought they knew what they were doing. And, in fact, they were the ones that got the joke played on them. Life is upside down sometimes, isn't it? And that's exactly what it is when it comes to Christianity. You save your life by losing it. It's not the way it should be, but that's often the way that it is. 
and I'm not going to ask how many years it's been since you've been in college or you've gotten out of high school. For some of you, it's been like 10 presidents ago. Praise God for that. Amen. But uh, not too many amens coming from that one, but we'll let it become. But we live in an upside-down world as Christians. Winners become losers. Losers become winners. And that's what Mark 8 is all about. Life comes out of death. Victory comes out of defeat. Glory through suffering. And that is the scandal of Christianity. It's not the way it seems. It's not the way you think when you dig into it. The way down is up. The, the, the low To be low is to be high. To have nothing is to have nothing is to have all to bear the cross is to wear the crown, and to have a few M&Ms is to have everything, as you might expect. But that is the scandal of Christianity, is that when you look at a church, you think, man, it should be this, but often God's Word says, no, it should be that. It's not the way it should be. And there are two scandals, or two sides that we're going to look at today about things being upside down. Last week, or a couple weeks ago, Brother Derek preached an awesome sermon last week on church discipline. But a couple weeks ago, we saw the scandal of Messiahship, that the, the disciples heard about Jesus, and they said, no, this can't be Jesus. This can't be who you are. This can't be what you're about. You can't go die. And what's this resurrection thing anyway? There was a scandal there. Jesus wasn't who they thought it should be. He should be. But today we're going to see the scandal of discipleship, how following Jesus isn't exactly the way even American Christianity or Christianity across the world today portrays it to be. To be low is to be high. To be losing is to be winning. To be on the opposite side of culture is actually a good thing. And that's what we're going to look at today as we do. I invite your attention there to Mark chapter 8. And, the, and, and this is what the scripture reminds us of in the Psalms. It tells us in Psalm 49 verse 7 that truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price for his life. But yesterday in this church building, we had several conversations with people who would testify to the opposite fact. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm a good person. I'm good enough to do something for God. Therefore, I deserve something. But that, again, is the scandal of Christianity. It's not always how it appears. Sometimes it's far, far better to be on the losing side because when that's where God actually is. It's so much easier thing to walk an aisle than, as Jesus will say, to take up the cross and follow him. So, friend, today, could there be anything more blessed than to have your identity upside down? to have your place in this world completely different than how it should be according to the culture. But what will it take to get to the stage where we individually and as a church see the cross as our all in all? And that is the big idea today. This is the, the summary of everything is if you want to be relevant, preach the gospel, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow Jesus and be ready to be called irrelevant. Well, that's just what the old fogies do. Well, well, good, count me in those old fogies as it is. Because when we often hear the word radical, we think of something crazy like people going out in the hills and, the, and sharing the gospel and knocking on doors every chance they get and like standing up. I'm not going to stand on the table, but pretend I was at work and the lunch tables at work. Do you know Jesus? And, and that's radical to us. But radical to Jesus is actually what the Bible just simply calls an everyday Christian. If you are living for Jesus, you are already more radical than you realize. And what Paul and Jesus tell us is that we are to take up our cross daily, Luke 9, 23, and to die daily, 1 Corinthians 15, 
31. So this morning, as we look at Mark, I want you to see four facts about taking up your cross this morning. Four things that the cross will require of you. First, life will look like death sometimes as a Christian. And we'll see also it's better to lose your life than to waste it. And that the gospel changes the price tags. We had people yesterday like, hey, can I pay $2 for that? No, it's really free. Please take it. Because we have to load it up afterwards. So please take all that you want as it comes in. But the gospel does that. You can't charge anything for it. And lastly, taking up your cross is a reminder to us that Jesus has every right to be ashamed of us. Because we are sinners to the core. But praise God, he's not ashamed of us. He calls us one of his own. With those things in mind, seeing how we can save our life by losing it. Will you join me uh, in standing? If you're visiting with us, we stand in honor of God's word if you're able this morning. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Mark chapter 4, verses 34 through 30. I'll be reading out of my newly found ESV Bible. So it's, it's, it's a brand new Bible now because it was refound. Praise God. But here it comes. Mark 8, 34 through 38. God's word says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? For what can a man give in return for his own soul? For whoever is ashamed of me... And of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's bow as we pray and start our study this morning. Father, we are reminded this morning that Christianity is not always what is on the TVs, in the bookstores, or even on social media. We don't have to share a post ten times to be blessed. Father, we have been blessed because we have been saved and called and drawn by the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, and and Father, by your beckoning. Father, how grateful we are. The things that are often are the things that aren't, and the things that aren't often are the things that are. So, Father, as we study through this, as we look at what it means to follow hard after you. Uh, For many, this will be a great nudge and reminder. For others, this will be a call to discipleship. For others, this will be a call to salvation. But wherever we are today, Father, may your word speak, because without it, we have nothing. Father, it's just hot air from a person speaking without your word. So, Father, be among us as you are. Speak through us as you will. And, Father, grow us ever closer to you as you desire. We thank you for these things and pray them in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Guys, may be seated. Thank you. As you come. Well, when I, I wrote this earlier this week, I, I, I didn't anticipate feeling this way, but uh, I'm tired today. I think many of you who are here or helped this week are tired, and it's a good tired. Uh, helping people and sharing the gospel is always a great thing. But life will often look like death. One of the great reminders of following Jesus, about taking up your cross, losing your life to save it, means you have a radical shift in the center of your heart. There has to be. A sinner, my whole life, I am inwardly focused. Like our, our, our sweet Seth now at almost 18 months, you know, a couple months ago, you could say, you know, give that back to your brother, and he just smile and give it right back, no problems. Now it's like World War III has begun. And he's joined the ranks of the armies of the Smith kids fighting for territory, toys, and salvation as it is. Because we're focused on us. 
But as a sinner, I push myself to the center. center. As a sinner, I worship for my own glory. As a sinner, I want to set my own rules. But the reality is, as a sinner, I reduce the world down to what I want and what I feel and what I think I need. And this is going back a few years, but it's that McDonald's world. It's all about me. That's why we have an iPhone, an iPod, an i whatever else is out there today, because it's all about us. Because we are self-focused. We're meant to live for God's glory, but I live as if God doesn't exist. And it's all about what I want, why I want it, when I want it, and I get angry when people don't give me the way I want it to be. I mean, come on. You go to Chick-fil-A, and they're smiling at you saying, my pleasure, but if they don't get those fries right, you're going to get mad at them, aren't you? Because you're real like the rest of us. Because I'm jealous because I have the things I can't crave, I, I, I covet, I murder, I lie, I cheat. It's all about me, 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 me. That's the world we live in today. And so when Christ calls us to deny ourselves and to take up the cross and follow him, it's actually a call of grace. Because in calling us to that type of sacrifice, to do things different than the world does because of who he is, Jesus, in effect, in grace, is rescuing us from us. He's rescuing us from our selfishness. He's addressing the deepest, darkest parts of our sin. So when he tells us here in verse 34, and you notice there he says he calls the disciples. Look at your Bibles. He calls the crowd to him with his disciples. And he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And friends, let it be reminded today, the cross is not just a comfort. The cross is a call. The cross is a call. It's a call to radical living that this culture does not want you to do. You can get let go of your life. You can let go of your plans. You can let go of the role, and you lay it all down, and you follow where God wants you to be. The cross should never become just another thing. But all other things seem like life. They do. Our careers, our kids, our houses, our, 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 our three thousand things that you can think of in in your life that you have those are just small things in effect for what it means to follow christ it's not my way or my will it's his way and his will and i want you to notice here this is not just a one-time calling this isn't the old baptist walk down the aisle if you want to be saved hey i see that hand well the buses will wait until you get saved sort of thing this is really a call to be every day, radical, on fire for Jesus. I don't even like that phrase, but there it is, on fire to know what it is. So what is the radical Christian life? It's doing what God asks you to do. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's groundbreaking, Pastor. No, it is. How do you be radical for Jesus? You just simply follow what God asks you to do. And sometimes it's better to obey than it is to pray. Why? Well, Pastor, what do you mean? You're saying we shouldn't pray to follow Jesus? That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes the most radical thing you can do is simply follow the basic commands that you've ignored your whole life that Jesus told you to do. Well, I know I need to share the gospel with that person. I just need to pray about it. Well, you know, you can pray about the person. You can pray about the time and the opportunity, but the going should never be in question, right? There are things, it's kind of like this. When you get asked to take out the trash... Well, I just need to pray about that, honey. I'm not sure that's God's will for my life right now. 
Well, that sounds good until you get kicked out on the couch for a few days for your disobedience to, to, to uh, you know what I'm saying. And this is what it is. The cross is not just a comfort, it is a call. And sometimes we get so busy praying that we simply don't obey. Please hear me clearly. You need to pray at all times, in all places, for God's will to be done, right? But sometimes when following Jesus, we just say, well, I just need to pray about that. No, you just need to go and do what God has asked you to do. And that's a hard thing sometimes to follow. And what Jesus is giving here, he's giving here three commands. If you notice that, three imperatives, use the, uh, the Greek language there. He says, deny yourself. He says, take up your cross and follow me. That's what he calls us to do. As a husband in relation to, to my, my wife, I must deny myself and take up the cross and follow Jesus. Because if I don't, I will destroy that very relationship in being selfish and in other things. As a parent, I myself must take up my cross and follow Jesus in my parenting. As a person with my finances, I must take up my cross and deny myself and follow Jesus. In my moments of leisure, I must deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. Do you see the point? It goes on and on and on and on. There is everything I do must go back to the fact that God has told me to follow after Him. As a church, we have to do this. We don't make programs and places and people to fit the culture. That's why when we go knock on doors in this neighborhood, we don't look at our list and say, what would you like to do in a church today? Well, I'd like a, a, you know, a pool in the backyard. I'd like a foot massage on Sunday during the sermon. And boy, those recliners would be so nice, wouldn't they, Pastor? I would love that church too, but that's not what the Bible calls us to do, right? We need to take this seriously as we do. Jesus liberates us from the sin to service to ourselves, to follow after him as it is. But in many parts of America, if we're honest, this is just something that we, it's pastor talk. It's like the pastor who preaches and preaches, that old country analogy, he preaches and he preaches, and there's someone in the back who comes in and steals all the coats in the back, and the preacher says, the coats, the coats, and they say, amen, amen, amen. And the service ends, and they go and try and find their coats, and they can't find them. He said, I tried to tell you so. Well, we thought you were just preaching, Pastor. And that's how we sometimes feel about these verses. They don't really sink home because they're just something we talk about. But in the Roman world, to carry your cross was to lose everything, wasn't it? To carry your cross was saying, carry your own coffin, carry your own noose, the gun that will sh- you'll take your life with. It was a, it was a cruel death. And what do you do with a cross? You, you, you die on them. That's why it's a little weird that we have crosses in our houses. We don't have electric chairs and other nooses hanging around. If that's the person you visit, uh, you might take a pastor and a few big guys with you as well because that's just weird if you were to put those things up. But the cross reminds us that we are to deny ourselves. And much of learning to follow Jesus is unlearning to follow yourself. A lot of it is not rocket science. Taking up your cross does not have to be this crazy, hard thing. It requires that you just simply say, Lord, I want to take what opportunities I have in front of me, what opportunities at work, at home, wherever it is, and I want you to be at the center of them all. We must take seriously about following Jesus. That is one reminder about following Jesus and taking up your cross. I want you to see the second one. Look at verse 35, if you will, in your scripture. It says here, it's better to lose your life than to waste it. Notice Jesus' words here as he talks. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. Let's be very clear here. This is not talking about some radical Christian, like a radical Muslim, if that's the right word. Actually, it's in all the Quran that even normal Muslims believe in, that if you give your life, you will go to paradise. That's not what's being said here. We're not asking you to go, uh, in the name of Jesus, go take a bullet for someone, although God may call you to do that. That might be what God has for you. I don't know. But simply dying in the name of Jesus does not grant you salvation. You are saved if you're saved here today because you were bought with a price. This is why when people bring up things like the Crusades and, and, and things in Christian history where in the name of Jesus we're going to go do these things, and if you, kill an, if you kill a Muslim, an infidel as they call them, that you'll get salvation, that is why that is so wrong, heinous, and terrible. Because giving your life for the gospel does not mean physically, although God may require that of us someday, I don't know. But it does mean that losing your life, losing all of everything about you falls out. And everything about him comes in. Now when I say that, I get a picture of some guy up in a, a hermit's cave, you know, like eight times a day. He's like eating, eating peas because he, he can't eat an Oreo because that would be sinful, you know. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about monasticism or all these things. That what we are talking about are people who are willing to identify with Jesus in places and in situations where it's difficult and it's hard, but that's what God's called them to do because they love him for saving them. That's what we're calling. When that boss asks you to cook the books a little bit and just move this number here and that number there and you know better, but it's your job on the line that you say, no, my, my faith doesn't allow me to do that. That's a very American way to take up the cross. Another way that you could think about is, you know, you think about movies that you watch and, and, and things that you see and the things that you go to people with. Oh, here comes the legalism. No, this isn't legalism. This is just following Christ. And you allow things to go in front of your eyes because you, you think, well, if I'm around these people and I do the things they do, then maybe they'll believe in the things I believe because I'm hanging out with them. They think I'm cool. I've got a tattoo. I look like them. I talk like them. I act like them. And maybe I'll get that chance to share the gospel. Friends, that's not denying ourselves for the sake of the gospel. Denying ourselves for the sake of the gospel requires that we ask the question, God, in this situation, what is it that you are most glorified in? And if, God, you're most glorified in something that's very radically different than they're asking me to do, help me to do it with grace. Help me to do it with humility. But for your sake, may it be for your grace. That's really, in essence, what he's telling them to do. Because remember, these disciples are holding to their will, their way, their purpose, all that stuff. But it's better to lose your life than anything else. But God brings life through obedience. Husbands, you know this to be true. Your wife asked you to do something. That's the second time I've brought this up. I, I'll let that one lay, lay where it lies. But if you've been asked to do something, you know that relationship's going to be a lot better the sooner you do it. Amen? Kids, you know that the sooner you follow mom and dad and what they say, you probably get the thing you want after it's done. And if you get your work, you get in there and get it done, that's what it is. God brings life through obedience even when it's hard. Obedience to Jesus sometimes feels like death, but through that obedience, God brings abundant life. And the relationship you walk away from is going to open up sometimes when, when, when you know you're supposed to go and forgive someone and, and, and restore that and release you from that bitterness, and you know it's going to be hard, and, and you walk away from going to open up 
for a, a time, that relationship, and you get there, and that person doesn't want to forgive you for anything you've done against them. Take up your cross. Be faithful. Or the ministry you engage in, or the career change is going, it's, and you bring life to someone else, but you become... Uh, you basically get to the point where you see no fruit and you say, Lord, I've done everything for you. I've followed you. And that's exactly where God wanted you to be, was simply to follow him. Jonah's an example of that, isn't it? Jonah took the calculator out and said, well, Nineveh's this wicked. I'm this good. I'm this guy. I don't want to follow you, God, to Nineveh, so I'm just going to do my own thing. And, and he ended up running away, getting swallowed by a big fish, spit out, and finally said, I'll go preach the gospel. And when he did, what happened to that city? It lit up on fire because he was faithful. It seemed like death to him to obey the simple command, but God brought life out of it. And that's what I want to remind you of. Obedience feels like death, but it's God's instrument in your life. Christian, what is there in your life today that God has been knocking on the door of your heart time and time again in your devotions through other Christians, through, through the preaching of the word that you know you need to go do, you know it's required of you as a Christian, but you have just simply said, now's not the right time. Look, we can't live the kingdom of God and leave our way of life untouched. We can't do that. You can't leave your way of life untouched. You'll, you'll see that up there. But one thing you need to know is that if your life has not been radically changed by the gospel of Christ, then you need to ask the question, have you taken it up? Let me be very clear here. Some people, again, you, you always you get to these extremes. You know, some people say, well, that means I'm going to go and I'm going to sell all, I am just going to go and sell all my stuff and give it to the poor and, and God will take care of us. I've got three kids. They eat a lot of food. My wife doesn't eat a lot, but I'm just going to go sell all my stuff and, 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 and that's what I need to do. Well, there's also a point where that God may call you to that. But there's also a point of command where you're to take care of your family. There's also a point of command where you're to, to lead your family spiritually. Well, this is what God's told me to do. Have you consulted your wife, probably the wisest person in that whole family? Have you thought about it? Have you prayed about it? That's why as you get to work and you get some of you at work, it, it's hard because you want to share the gospel, don't you? I, many of you, that's your heart, but you want to get in there and share the gospel and there are times and places for that. But as I used the earlier example, I knew a guy who got fired from his job because he literally got up on a table and started saying, you're going, you're going to go to H-E double hockey sticks. You know, you're going there. Well, it's nice to meet you too, Bill. It's good to have you here. He didn't have a job much longer. He wasn't taking care of his family. You pray, Lord, where is it I need to be obedient? You better believe God will give you the right time and the right place as you seek to follow him. But if your life has never been untouched by the gospel of Christ, it may be that you've never known the gospel of Christ. Jesus didn't call you to seek a balanced life, an easy life, or your best life now, but to lose your life and find it in Him. If you make the goal of your life just to stay alive, you'll fail. But if you make the goal of your life for the kingdom and its purposes, you cannot lose. I remember interviewing for a job several years ago when I was at our former church, and they asked me, they said, how did you measure success at the church? I said, we trusted God with the results. I never got that interview the second time. Because they would say, well, if you don't have this and this and this and this and this, and that's fine, that's business, that's a place of things. But in the kingdom of God, God often brings you through obedient things and things you cannot measure to show you things more about himself in ways that you can follow him as it is. So there it is. You, you, you seek and you'll lose your life. And Jesus told them that about what it is. Notice thirdly here what he tells them. 
When you take up your cross, you, you make life look like death. You, you will lose your life uh, better than wasting it. And thirdly, the gospel changes the price tags. Look at verses 36 and 37 as you look back at your scripture there. For it says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And, and these are very famous verses as they are. Just as an aside, if you have not read this book, Bible First, amen, Bible First, but Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. If you've never read that book, you can find it free online. Uh, we have copies in the office. If you want it, please come see it. It is worth your time. But what Jesus reminds us here, he steps back and he asks them the great question. What if everything in your life turned out the way you hoped it would be in your dreams? Would you be okay with that? What if you got to be Michael Jordan, the best basketball player ever to, to, to don the jersey? What if you became uh, Pavarotti if you're in the singing and you had a voice that just like, wow. What if you were the most powerful person ever to, to, to live in the world and you had everything at your disposal? What if all of your kids listened to you every time you said obey? The very first time you said obey and they did that the rest of their lives. What if... What if all your dreams came true? You know, that happened one time, didn't it? That actually happened in a, in a story by C.S. Lewis where they were going through, and I don't remember the, the whole story. It's one of the Chronicles. I believe it's one of the Chronicles of Narnia, or one of those. It's one of the, you go read the books, figure it out, where they enter into a tunnel with the boat, and, and, and it gets very dark in the boat, and they start seeing all these images around the boat the story talks about, and, 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 and they're images of things that they know to be true, and they're so scared because their dreams have caught up with them. Friend, what is it in your life that you say, if I just had this right now the way I want it, in the way I want it packaged, would your life be better because you got that thing? How many people have you known in your life who have spent years and years and years and years climbing the ladder after ladder after ladder after ladder just to get to a certain point so they can then talk to their wife, love their kids, and lead their family? Well, you don't understand, Pastor, if I don't have this here and this here and this here, I can never serve Jesus Christ. Jesus said, don't go, let the dead bury their dead. Come and follow after me. What does it cost you to follow Christ? Jesus said there's nothing because your soul is not anything you can put a price tag. Look, the greatest threat to humanity is not out there, but it's really what's in here. It's what's in the soul. And yet, let's be honest, there are times when we know this is true, but we still get angry. It seems like life, it's like life to get nasty and we want to win arguments. There are times when it seems like life to spend more than you should, and in spending more than you should, not having the resources to give to God. You, you know these things are true, but if you're honest, we all struggle with these verses. Your pastor struggles with these verses. I struggle with these verses. And that's why we need this warning, because we are still capable in our sin to look at that which leads to death and name it as life, and we are in need in the constant call to be reminded of the radicalness, if you will, of the Christian life. Christian, your job is not to have a house so big that you can fit all your cars in it. Your job is not so big that you need to have the name on every billboard where it goes. Your job is not even to have a Facebook following so that when you post, you get like 20 likes in 10.5 seconds. 
Your life, my life, our church's life is, is exactly what these verses say. God is freeing us in this statement from you and from me and from us. He's pointing it not in here. He's pointing it back to him. The gospel changes the price tags. Isn't it amazing? When someone comes to know Jesus, how radically they change. The things they once loved, they now hate, and the things they once hated, they now love. That's the amazingness of the gospel. And Jesus asked them the question, what would you hang on to that is worth your soul? I can remember several years ago, I was in the college mode with the opening illustration, being an RA, resident assistant, that I remember asking several men in our, our, our hall that, you know, what does it cost you when you go and sleep around and do all these sorts of different things? I, is it really worth it? And they would always say, yes, I'm having fun. Please leave me alone, you Bible beater thumper guy. Go away. You're like a wet blanket. Stop it. But is it really worth the memory of some brief escapades worth the soul for eternity? Or I know many people who reject Jesus because they want out of their marriage or to be with someone new. Is, is leaving your marriage for a new spouse really worth your soul? Or going to comfort each other in hell to be so bleak? Is control of your career, your calendar, your finances outside of Jesus worth it? It's like that guy who said, when they bury you, they put you in a death suit, and it never has any pockets. It's so true. Whether you're holding on to now, whether you're going to lose anything one day, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, there is nothing more precious than your soul. Jim Elliott, the great missionary, said, He who is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Church, I pray that, uh, that our desire, and I, I believe it is, God is fostering this within our church, that as we look out the landscape of, of, of Christianity in America, as, as things change and as, as things get more and more centered around Christ and churches, that we never lose that focus. That we never forget there are precious souls outside in our neighborhoods, and our families, in our workplaces that are not saved, that we don't let buildings and, and processes and bylaws and, and administrative orders be more important than the discussion and the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, those things are important. We need to have order here. Uh, it would be nice, you know, every time you gave, wouldn't it be awesome? You gave, you could designate your own fund and say, I want a Christmas fund, and uh, you tithe each month, and you're like, hey, Give me my Christmas fund. I tithe these week. I'm saving through the church. That's not quite what we're going for, but you see how things can get out of hand. Processes are important. But Jesus reminds us that the things of the church, the programs of the church, if they are not focused on the souls of people, we have lost our focus on things that matter most. Let's keep that in perspective. Lastly, and we'll close on this. I know my time's getting short. I told you I was tired today. But you are too, so we'll keep rocking and rolling here as we do. So Jesus reminds us we are to make life as we carry our cross. It, it will make life look like death. We, it's better to lose your life than to waste it. And the gospel literally changes the price tags. But fourthly, verse 38, notice what Jesus says here as he closes us out. Look at verse 38. Look down at your scripture. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
Now, I want you to know that Jesus has every right to be ashamed of you, me, this church, and everyone who dons the name of Christian in this world. And the irony of that verse is that Jesus, who should have been ashamed of us, isn't. That's great news. Because as you follow after Jesus, as you take up your cross, if you are in Jesus, he could not be more pleased with you when you came to Christ than he is now and will be forevermore. The cross he picked was voluntary. It wasn't because we were worth it. It wasn't because he saw potential in us. It wasn't because we brought anything to the table. He should be ashamed of us. Lest we forget, we are enemies of the cross. We are at war with God. We are sinners to our core. There's nothing good in us. But Jesus, when he looks at us, should we be in Christ, sees not our sin, but sees his own death, sees his own resurrection, sees everything the gospel is, and that's how Jesus sees us. Friend, true love for God cannot grow when we are unsure about his feelings for us. Jesus is not like some of those boyfriends, ladies, that you had growing up where you had to do like those old cartoons and pluck out a feather or a leaf. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Boy, I forgot to read my Bible today. He must not love me. Oh, I didn't share that post on Facebook. He must not love me. Or, oh, I didn't give the pastor a high five. He really must not love me now. Look, if Jesus' feelings for you were based on you, then Jesus would be as fickle as we are fickle. And Jesus is not fickle. He's always the same. And he tells us that as a way of reminding us that we need to shove the thoughts that Jesus has any other thoughts about you, that he loves you and he cares for you down the accuser's throat, down to the very pits of where he came from. Christian, you are who God says you are. And Hebrews 2.11 says Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother. He's the only one with nothing to gain and everything to, lo- everything to lose. Yet out of love for me, he identified himself with me. He picked up his cross to save me. And is that God not worth leaving everything for? That's why he puts us in here. Jesus is in effect saying it's, it, it's inescapable that we live in a moral world. We don't live in a world of open free choices. You can do whatever you want. That's not the world we live in. We live in a world of delusion. What he's reminding them is, is that you have considered the cost, Christian. Follow me. I'm not ashamed of you. But for those without Christ, notice the words here. It's very clear. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, he will be ashamed of you. One of the conversations I had with a sweet lady yesterday, here we had those very words. I asked her very, very clearly, if God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And she said, I deserve it. And I won't name the TV preacher. Y'all know who it is already. That TV preacher with a four-letter name and smiles as wide as Texas told her that as long as she believed hard enough in herself, she would be in heaven. I said, ma'am, the only way you go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And that is it. Friends, if you're a Christian here and you have failed in ways to take up your cross, Jesus is not loving you any less than he loved you the day you came to know Jesus, came to know him, or any less, if you want to go even more theological, the day from eternity past when he called forth your name even before you believed. That's good news. But if you're not a Christian, you have every reason to be afraid of this because he is ashamed of you. He's ashamed of you because you're ashamed of him. 
He's not ashamed of you in the sense that he won't take you in, but there's a point at which he says, look, if you want your sin, you take your sin and you run with it, but only those who believe in me and repent, turn from their sin, and believe I am who I said I am will be in heaven with me. This is a great reminder to us Christians, there is a judgment coming, isn't there? There is a day of judgment where rights will, wrongs will be righted and, and rights that were said here will be wronged and shown forth for what they are. Romans 14, 12 says that every one of us then will have to give an account before God. That's why we take what comes from this pulpit very, very seriously. Because we as teachers stand before God and give account for every word that comes out. God isn't a Mizzou fan. God isn't a Kansas fan. God's not even a K-State fan, as it is. God is a fan of his gospel and all things. But my point of that is being is I pray that even though we may say a little joke here, a little joke there, and that's fine in its place, that the words that come out of this pulpit are things that encourage you, exhort you, grow you, and point you back to him. And if we're ever off that rocker, you come up with one of those free giveaway uh, iron pans, cast iron pans, someone gave us a wall us up side the head because we need to get back where we need to be. Amen? And that's what God tells us to do. Look, maybe you're here today and, and you, you've hung around Christianity for a while, but you know you're not a believer. You're not an atheist, but you've not accepted the harsh and dangerous reality of your own sin today. You've not yet run to the cross. You're attracted to the little things of Christianity. You want, you want this Jesus, but you're not like all in. It's like when you're, I, I, okay, bad analogy here. I used to watch guys who played poker in college, and they'd put a little bit in. Then you get that one guy who's like all in, and then he has a hand that's just like, it's, it's the worst hand ever, but he's trying to bluff everybody out. Maybe that's how some of you are today with your Christianity. You've been coming, you're interested, you put a little bit in, and then you go all in when, when the pastor says Jesus because you know the right things to say. But I'd plead with you this evening, don't leave this room without confessing your sin. Don't play religion come to Christ. Friends, I would call you today, if you've made a commitment and you're a believer, there are places in your life where you're treating your life as it belongs to you. Maybe not you're doing that in a relationship you know, or, or maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in your commitment to this church, maybe it's in your commitment to, to forgive someone in this church or seek forgiveness in this church. There are ways that you need to take up your cross that you know you need to, but you need to pray for the courage and you need to go and do it. Let me just say one last word as we close, and there's so much that can be said about these passages, but I want to say a word for our church this morning. Uh, and Amy, that's the last slide I believe it is. But friends, as we carry our cross as a church, as Gilbert, he's already left the building. I don't know where he went. Oh, he's in the sound booth. Gilbert, there you are. I, brother, you got one more week. Don't do that to me, as it is. But let me just say a word to our church. As we come, we are in some transition with, with uh, Nelson and as an interim youth pastor. We have Gilbert transitioning out. We have lots of things to decide. And with that can come some feelings of, woo, what's happening here? What's going on here? What's going on there? Friends, I just want to remind you that our God is faithful. Amen? Our God will see us through. That's not just pastor speak. That's reality because you live it every day. As we take up our cross to win Grace Moore across the way, Maple Park back here to Jesus in your neighborhood, wherever you may be, you're going to look and say, well, why are things transitioning so? Friends, there's, there's nothing to hide. God is here. God is with us. He's among us. God is growing us. God is challenging us. There are things as we seek to be more Christ-centered in this church that are going to be challenges. But I pray as we all take up our crosses together that we do so linking the arms of love and unity. We do so with humility. We do so with directional grace. 
Because as we do those things, God will be glorified in those things. Look, it's unsettling when you follow after Jesus. I can speak for Gilbert here in saying that uh, uh, packing up his house and, uh, and, and grading and doing all the things and packing up and going to Southeastern is hard. It's hard to go to a place you've never gone before. Many of you have done that before. But friends, God is guiding Gilbert as he's guiding us as he's guiding everything else. I hope you remember that. As we take up our cross, you need to also remember, and you'll see it up here, but every church has a past to remember. We have sins to repent of, but our future is bright, Tower View. Amen? I hope you believe that, because I believe that. Our leaders believe that. Our future is as bright as our obedience is to God. The moment we step back is the moment we say, God, it isn't going to be unstable because we're doing our own thing. Well, God might rock the boat a few times around here. He already has. And God will continue to do that. But I pray as we go forward, we look at these verses and say, Lord, whatever you call us to, whomever you bring us, wherever you send us, may we be faithful to the task. And if we do that, we are already successful because he's not ashamed of us. Let's bow as we pray and close out today. Father, we come before you and just uh, we thank you. Father, you, you, you throw us curveballs. You often do. And, Father, they're not slow pitches that are coming down the middle of the plate just waiting for an easy home run over the left field fence. They are curveballs that come. And, Father, those are often the times, they are the times, where you are calling us to carry our cross. Father, in things, in situations, in plans, in people, and in in, in just whatever you have for us that we naturally don't want because we want our own plans, people, agendas, places, and things. But, Father, as we seek to follow after you, as irrelevant as it may be, may we be faithful to follow. May we go after you. May we run after you because you gave your all for us. Father, I know the practicality that comes out, but this week give us great wisdom in all the situations in this room, from stay-at-home moms to retired folks to to blue-collar to white-collar to young people to old people to single, married, widow, widowers, all in between. You know everything we need in each situation. Let it be for your glory. We pray this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.